What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Urban Christian Woman Podcast, where we seek to restore women with God's truth for their everyday lives. I'm Tashiba Oliver. And I'm Leah Ross, and we're your hosts. This season, we've got some exciting things in store. So join us as we study God's Word, celebrate women living faithfully on mission, and dive into cultural issues through a biblical lens. You ready, Tashiba? Girl, yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's Let's go. go. ladies and welcome to the first episode of Jonah with Leah and I today. I am like super excited about Jonah. If you have not started the podcast um, with the background, if you if you don't have any background to Jonah, we're just going to ask that you just like hit pause or stop and just go back to the background. So we're excited to be digging into Jonah Um, and there's a lot of truth, a lot of nuggets, a lot of wisdom and a lot of conviction. I feel like, and a lot of grace. Um, and so Leah, we are in Jonah one. I'm going to jump in and read Jonah chapter one. And then after that, like, let's look at what we see in the passage. So Jonah chapter one, ladies, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. 
Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord, honey. Mm, Thanks be to God. So we in this thing. We We in in it. We in, we are in Jonah chapter one. And we are, ooh, we this is such a short book, Leah, but it Mm -hmm. is, it is short but mighty powerful. We said that about first John. I feel that about Jonah. Yeah. So when we look at Jonah chapter one, who are the key people and what's going on in in the text? Our key, our um, key takeaway for this chapter mm. is the Lord's presence cannot be escaped because what he created, he loves. Ooh, so girl, I wish I had an organ already. <laughs> the, church, the doors of the church are now open. Oh my gosh. He uh, loves Jonah. And not only that, he loves the people of Nineveh. And so he's working everything out For them to experience his presence Mm. the same way Jonah does. And yet we stumble in at the starting line. Well, perceive that we're stumbling at the starting line, but God cannot be stopped. So Mm. as we look at uh, just right there, the Lord is our key person in this chapter, right? Mm. He is initiating everything um, and he is the main player in in just what is happening here. And um, Jonah is responding to that. And the captains and the sailors are also there responding to it. Jonah is representing the people of Israel. So many, many generations later, when the people of Israel read about the captain and the sailors, they're clearly understanding that these represent Gentiles and Gentile nations. Um, and they're able to interpret their response in light of the fact that they are Gentiles. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, so they're able to respond in that way. So what are the facts, Leah? What's going on in this chapter? Right, so we're if we're breaking it down, right, the Lord, first of all, initiates, as we're talking about, he is the main character. He's the initiator. He comes to Jonah, who is a prophet. Jonah is a Hebrew, son of Amittai. Um, we're going to talk later about how to get some, where to get some context on Jonah, who he is in his story. And um, the Lord uh, commands Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against it, right? So what what when we talk when we were talking about Toshiba, what it means that the Lord commands Jonah to go preach against it, we were saying that this is yes a word of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, a judgment to the sin that was like running rampant in Nineveh at the time, mm-hmm. and also an invitation to respond. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is evil that the Lord is seeking to deal with in Nineveh. Um, and he his judgment is an opportunity for them to either receive that judgment or respond. So Jonah hears the Lord, but he does not obey. He flees from the Lord's presence, which that presence mm-hmm. is one of our main themes. Yeah. He gets on this ship, he goes in the opposite direction, right? Like he goes mm-hmm. um like to the equivalent of like the other side of the world at that point in time because they didn't know that much about the world. Tarshish was very far away. So he gets to the ship, he goes down, this repeated of, he goes down from the Lord's presence, he goes down to the bottom of the ship, this down, 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 repeated language. He's trying to go, he's just trying to tap out, 
right? But in the midst of that, the Lord sends a wind and a storm to send the ship into tumult to the point where everybody on that ship thinks that they're about to die, right? And the sailors who do not know the Lord, they're doing whatever they can. They're throwing stuff overboard. They're crying out to God and nothing happens. So what do they do? They look for Jonah. They're like, Mm -hmm. the captain is like, why are you asleep? Get up. Shouldn't you be doing what you're doing? Shouldn't you be panicking and calling out to your God? Maybe yours will rescue us. And what happens? Jonah is, uh, he's not willing um, at first until they cast lots and um, provoke a response out of him, which is so wild. Like he's not even witnessing on the boat. Like they got to provoke a response of witness out of him. They like, who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing? And what have you done? Yeah. What's going on? Which not to jump too far ahead, but I'm like, the people of Israel are supposed to be saying that out the gate, like not hiding from it and having somebody have to like literally ask it out of you. So anyway, so he, Mm. he, he uh, professes, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. So he's he's laying his cards out there. He's saying like, right. the God of the sea, this sea that is causing you so much fear and chaos yeah. right now, yeah. like this is the God that I worship. So they're asking for him then to like do something to make this stop. He says, you got to throw me over. Jonah knows that... Um, he knows God's character, right? He's a prophet. He knows that God works through justice yeah. and dealing with disobedience through judgment. And so that yeah. is, I, I believe his in his interpretation, this is what has to happen. You just got to throw me yeah. over. Yeah. Also, maybe he would rather die than continue his mission and actually go to Nineveh, I mean, right? One hundred, it's not a, I, I also, like you think, it is actually confirmed. Like I would have just rather died. You know, yeah. there is some right. alluding to that in other chapters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so 100%. Yeah. But what does God do? Yeah. And so in the midst of that, well, first of all, it's that action alone that leads the sailors when the when the sea actually calms down to fear and worship the Lord to mm. bring them to this point. And we're going to talk about that, uh, unpack that a little bit later. Um, and so in God's grace, in his mercy, he doesn't allow Jonah to die. Um, he sends mercy in the face of his judgment yep. through the form of a fish to swallow him mm. for three days mm. and three nights. Don't that sound familiar now? Come on, just like three days Jonah and three nights. Was in there the was another. belly of the fish. Come on. <laughs> there is another. Mm, yes. The greater Jonah. Yes. <laughs> Which is all already alluded to in the Gospels. Like Jesus is like, yeah, this yes. is, the, the, I am the sign of, the Jonah is the sign. I am the sign of Jonah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so Toshiba, take us through these themes and then our key verse for this chapter, uh, Jonah yeah, chapter one. Yeah, yeah. This is still, you know, if you listen to the background, you know that this is taking place sometime around, somewhere around that eighth century, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, we see these themes within the text of the Lord's presence. And Leah, you talked about this um, a little bit, and maybe we should unpack that um, in in a few moments. But just that the Lord's presence is, it is seen throughout the entire book, but you can already see it 
when Jonah is running away from the Lord, the Lord's presence is still pursuing him, even in disobedience. And so the Lord's presence is this huge thing that we see. And it's, it's almost like the question is, can I outrun the presence of God? Mm. Like it's, mm. <laughs> you know, um, and so- Though the we try. Though we try, we cannot outrun his presence. And so there's that key theme. And then these key verses of Jonah 1 and 3. For this chapter, we chose Jonah 1 and 3. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. There it is right there, the Lord's presence, right? He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Mm-hmm. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And so it's just this, this huge, constant, um, re, re, I don't want to say redundant, but it's repeated over and over again that no matter where Jonah is, no matter mm-hmm. where the sailors are, the Lord's presence is there. And then to, to sort of put a capstone on it, um, to talk about the Lord's presence through his authority, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord's presence has authority where he's able to harness creation. Mm-hmm. He's able to harness a ship. He's able to use um, the sailors and even use Jonah and his disobedience that we will see, right? Um, and he does that through the appointing, through his actual word. And so in Jonah 7, 1, 17, it says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we sort of already sort of talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. from Matthew 12 and 40. And so we see these key terms of presence and worship. And so Leah, you did a little bit of digging around this word presence and the actual Hebrew. Talk about that a little bit as we sort of continue the conversation. Yeah. So when I was looking in the Hebrew, uh, the word presence is made up of three Hebrew characters and I'm going to butcher them, but here we go anyway. <laughs> go go big or uh, go. <laughs> go. Go big or go home. Go big or go home. Because I have not studied Hebrew, but this is fascinating, y'all. So the three characters are Pi, P-E-I, Nun, N-U-N, and Hi, H-E-I, uh, which together basically sum up to mean the equivalent of the spoken word of God from his heart to break down walls and barriers. Mm. The spoken word of God from his heart to break down walls and barriers. So if you think about like the presence of God and even in Hebrew, there's the, it's used plurally, but the plurality doesn't necessarily mean more of, right? It just is actually just an amplified, like so extremely like cap, all caps presence. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is not just his face, right? But but his face and a calling to for his heart to be exposed to ultimately these people, the Ninevites, right? So if you mm-hmm. think about like God's word is moving from his heart to break down the walls of sin, to break down the barriers so that the people can actually experience his face, his very mm-hmm. presence, right? Mm-hmm. His very panai um, yeah. in that way. And so- this is really cool because the presence of God is a calling. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's it is. a calling. Yes, it is. It's a calling towards Him, and it's a calling 
in him and with him towards uh, his very goodness and his very nature being known by everyone that he's created. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I and mean, everyone, to me, that's profound. I'm like, yes, what? yes. And and the, the fact too that he is actually uh, using his people to be a vessel for yes. to be his presence, calling, fam. To be his presence. To be to his, be his presence. presence. If you Acts. think about that, Jonah was entrusted with a word from God's heart from to God's break, heart to break down the barriers. That's what I'm saying. So I, I mean, like Jonah was entrusted to be God's presence in Nineveh, and what did he do with that? Yeah, he actually went two thousand miles the other direction. Two thousand miles in the opposite direction. Two thousand. Oh, the Jesus Storybook Bible was like one ticket to not Nineveh, please. Okay, 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 okay. Like, I, I feel like oh, we were talking about man. that in the commentary. Like yeah. John O said, he went. He was supposed to be going northeast. He went southwest. That's what he did. <laughs> it's just two thousand miles in the other direction, and I, and and that's what we're gonna see. Like we're even gonna see the impact of Jonah. Mm-hmm. Not not actually operating in that that mode of the yeah. Lord's presence as a yeah. conduit to proclaim that, mm. and so um, yeah, we see these other repeated words, right? We see the Lord, we see crying out, calling out um, from the sailors. We see the storm and the sea, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see this the word go going and and it mm-hmm. comes in various forms of tenses to the point that it it has been the sort of thing that we've landed on is being sent right the the, the right. Lord sent a word right it, mm-hmm. to Jonah um it, it talks about that tons of times in Jonah 1 and so these yeah. are sort of some of the the repeated words that's the, the theme of the lord's presence is there and so keeping that in mind that pi nun high word what does this mean we're we're transitioning to listen what does it mean to understand what this word would be towards the original hearers the the people of israel um, and we see Jonah and the Ninevites are actually mentioned um, a couple of times, not a lot in scripture. There is not mentioned, Jonah's not mentioned a lot. They're not mentioned a lot. But if you have time to expand your understanding of Jonah, to understand uh, what has taken place and even his ethnocentrism, why he actually has right. some beef yeah. with the Ninevites, why he's so abstinent about listen, I'd rather go the other direction. Second Kings 18 sort of cracks that open. Nahum 3 cracks that open around mm-hmm. like his anger, the frustration, how evil the people of Nineveh were, the Ninevites were, and how um, they were worshiping uh, the idols of their day, the gods of their day. And so, um, mm-hmm. I mean, when we're when we're thinking about Jonah, we could easily put him in the space of, man, he's a prophet. He's walking in holiness. He's God's messenger. But Jonah is human, and he is a a man from Israel. He has mm-hmm. the is Israel DNA in his blood, and so there's baggage there from the Ninevites, right? right? 
So some of the narrative, meta narrative that we see from Jonah 1 are two things. We really see the narrative of fall. We see how Jonah is called to walk in obedience to proclaim this word of judgment. And yet he like disobeys to the point where it's not just disobedience. Can we just call it rebelling against the Lord's it, call? It absolutely is. I, I yeah. mean, he, we can say that it's actually rebellion because he takes his own resources, pays a fare to go in another direction. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then ask people to drop him over on the other side of the boat. So it's just like a refusal, a rebellion, and it embodies the, the part of the story of scripture that is, is sin and the fall. And then we see the beauty of these sailors um, who are Gentiles, who are going to sort of be the representation of God's Abrahamic covenant that all nations would Mm -hmm. come to be a part of the family of God by faith, right? Mm -hmm. We see them embodying redemption as they are not only um, seeking to preserve Jonah's life, (laughs) like, no, we can't take you over. We don't want to dump you over on the other side of the ship. But to the point where they're crying out to the Lord mm-hmm. and asking, like, please don't let us perish because of this man's life. Like, we understand now who the God of the heavens and the earth is, who make the sea and the dry land. We got it. We got who is really on the throne. And so let me not only ask to not be perished, but to the to the point that you see this transition of not just the the desire for the preservation of their own lives, but that they see who the Lord is and they were seized with great fear is what the text says in verse 16. Fear of the Lord, that they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And so here it is that the very assignment that Jonah was called to do God still uses all of creation to still draw these sailors towards a place of repentance and redemption, right? To the point where they're making vows. Ladies, if you're enjoying the ministry and content of The Urban Christian Woman, would you take a minute to write a review and give us a rating on iTunes? Our goal is to get truth into the hands of urban women. You can help us by leaving even a one-sentence review and some stars. This simple act will help increase our visibility for more women to find this podcast and resources to help equip them in their everyday lives. So girl, what you waiting for? Just go ahead and do it right now. And if you haven't yet, join our community on social media. You can find us on Instagram at The Urban Christian Woman, Facebook, The Urban Christian Woman, and on our website, which is theurbanchristianwoman.com. Leah, talk about some of these um, verses that connect those threads. And what what are some of the major things that we even see being embodied through understanding this text? When you're talking about Jonah embodying the fall, um, which I I always think is like incredible, even to that embedded in the story of Jonah is that he flees to Tarshish, which is east, 
Um, and we know that many, many generations before Jonah, there was another set of people who mm-hmm. fled, who went east, who were subjected to go east uh, because of sin, uh, and that was out of the garden. So there's a, a familiarity to the original listener that they would hear that and think, oh, east, wait a minute. Um, as yeah. well. Um, and so we see that in Jonah 1, 3 that he got up to flee from Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Um, He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go from the Lord's presence. So, I mean, as often as we read these these few verses, like we're really mining many different things out of the same verses because there's so much there. Um, in a short narrative. But then as we look at the theme of redemption through the sailors, I want us to look at um, verse 14, verses 14 through 16, uh, which is where the sailors are crying out to the Lord for the first mm-hmm. time to really address the Lord, um, yeah. crying out for mercy, um, and then actually just like doing what they like doubted or were skeptical about but also mm. realized that they were their faith was desperate enough to just go ahead and obey which yeah. ironically Jonah ain't even at that point where his yeah. faith is desperate enough to obey but yeah. the gentiles are um and then in, in God's mercy um he is an initiator of of rescue for Jonah but um that is actually one of our major themes that God is an initiator um, his character is relational, and he's always, even throughout this short chapter, he's looking to engage in a dialogue of hearing and responding with his people, right? So the mm-hmm. even the sending of the storm is an mm-hmm. invitation for Jonah to hear and respond. Mm-hmm. Now, funny enough, the ones who hear and respond are actually the outsiders, which is going to be very consistent with like when Jesus shows up on the scene, who is the better Jonah, and those who actually respond to him often and display deep faith are yeah. the outsiders, are the Gentiles, are the nations. So we get a sneak peek into that even now, um, but that God is always initiating a dialogue of hearing and responding and and many times it's um, the outsiders who have a tender heart to respond in faith. So we see that. And then we also see this sovereignty of God, right? He uses the, we've been using this this phrase to sheep as we've been prepping. We've been using this phrase like collateral damage that's showing up everywhere in my life. Oh I'm my like, gosh. the collateral damage of disobedience, right? Like the collateral, the collateral damage because- damage for me. When he, when Jonah is disobedient, like it brings chaos yeah. in the life of these unbelievers. Yeah. Okay. Now that yeah. that'll preach. Just I'm just gonna leave that right there for somebody. Yeah. I don't yeah. know for who. And guess what? But it's not in, just it's not just in Jonah's story, but it, even as you were talking about this, uh, you know, him going east and going in the other direction. Genesis makes that very known, right? That there is yes. collateral damage. Yes. You see this from the story of scripture from Genesis on. When there is sin, you are not operating isolated. Yes. You're, there's damage. Mm-hmm. There's collateral damage, even from there's those collateral who are damage. in proximity. So Jonah is right in step with what we see in scripture. Yeah. You know? And yet God wastes absolutely nothing, right? Because he's like, in the midst of this storm, 
that was provoked by Jonah's disobedience, I'm okay. going to use those circumstances to bring witness and faith to these unbelieving sailors. So to me, I'm like, God is so amazing. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted by him. Um, nothing, nothing. Um, okay, so Toshiba, take us to the theology and these attributes and doctrines that we see in chapter one of Jonah. What yeah. do we see God revealing of himself? Yeah, yeah. One of the things that we see really clearly in Jonah 1, of course, I think you might have even alluded to it, is just this general revelation, the theology of general revelation. And what is that? It's just God revealing himself and his character through creation. And I want to read Romans 1.20 because it it like explains that um, what we're talking about so very well um, when we're talking about general revelations. Romans 1.20, it says, for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So even when we, when the sailors are seeing the winds and the waves, the tumult of the storm, and God seeking to create order out of this chaos by what is happening through Jonah's disobedience, it actually is a witness. It's, it's actually creation is witnessing towards who God is mm-hmm. and how he is seeking to make himself known so that they are without excuse. And that's what we even see, even through Jonah's one sentence sermon, which I don't know how how they got there, but the Lord will use anything, right? He will use, he will use anything to draw people <laughs> yes. to himself in this one, one, one sentence sermon. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. It, it even speaks to the testimony that it's not really about us, that his word seeks to accomplish the very thing that it sets itself out to do. And so even in the midst of the storm, that's right, it actually is making a testimony to draw them to himself so that even the sailors are without excuse. And we see the beauty of that at the end of the chapter. And then we mm-hmm. see God's attributes being on display, his holiness we see God's mercy being poured out to these individuals who are on the ship, whether it's the sailors or whether it's Jonah, God's mercy is abundant because God could have turned the the ship over. He could have done that um, because of Jonah's right. disobedience, right? Um, but, and yet, God was seeking to accomplish an expansion of his kingdom towards a pointing of Gentiles coming into his family. And so God, just as much as he's merciful, we see the attribute of his grace running after Jonah to pursue him and his patience in that, his patience to continue to seek him, to seek, to continue to pursue him when he was asleep to continue to pursue him, even as this these chapters are going to go forward. And so in the midst of all of these things are taking place, we see God's nature totally on display. We see God's presence that's everywhere all at the same time, like we talked about before as well, and then his sovereignty. So as we sort of begin to wrap all of this up into this beautiful 
a mm-hmm. tapestry for chapter one. How should we apply this to our lives? I I will say, um, how do we apply this with our head, with our heart, and with our hands? Right. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about this a little bit um, as we, uh, you guys, see newsletters. And we talk about it on podcasts, but how do we apply this with our heads? Well, number one, God controls and is in control of all things. And why is that? Because God is holy and there is no other person, no other God like him. They all fall short. And so God is holy. That means that he himself is like none other. There is no one that has his power, his authority, his wisdom, none of that. It it, it cannot be embodied. He alone is worthy. He alone has control. He alone is the one who can harness Mm -hmm. and speak to things and they are. We see that from Genesis 1 all the way through. And so because there is no one like him, that means that he is unchangeable. And because he's unchangeable, he is going to accomplish what he sets out to do. And his heart, just like you said, Peinanai, his heart was going after a people. And so when Jonah rocked the boat by uh, landing into disobedience, just as much as he's unchangeable with his assignment, he is also just when we as his people operate outside of what he is seeking to accomplish because he embodies what is right and what is true. And so his heart always aligns with those things. And so God can enact his wrath because he is holy and his wrath is never outside of the context of his covenant promise. So when we look at Genesis 12, one through three, and and God makes known that he's gonna establish his covenant with Abraham, and that his his uh, descendants are going to be as as many as the stars are in the sky and the sand. That that is for all people, and that they would be a people of faith. And I love what it says in Genesis twelve. It says, "The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God has made a promise, and God will not contradict his promise to expand this nation into all peoples. It's just not a part of his personhood. He is not a man that he would lie. So we see that God is in control and he controls all things. Leah, what about this whole component of the heart? Man, so I'll just say, you like totally zoom past this concept of wrath. And I'm like, there's probably a lot of people that feel a lot of discomfort when thinking about the wrath of God. So I'm like... We 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 didn't zoom past it, but it's like we just drove quickly past a yeah, total did. wreckage like construction zone. We did. That we, did. we don't understand what's happening there, and how how in the world can we do that? Yeah. So give some I, I feel like we just need to slow down right there for like yeah. six yeah. seconds of like. For- 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. And because, well, and I want to give space to this, particularly as we think about like how we respond and how we live is because it's like, we are not the kind of people, especially in American Christianity, that talk about the wrath of God. We feel Mm. uncomfortable with it. We want to avoid it. We'd rather set it on the shelf or it's been taken off of the shelf like a baseball bat and swung at us in careless ways that has caused damage. Mm. And so when we think about, to your point of what you're saying about the covenant, really important. When you think about the wrath of God, it is always, always connected to his good purpose and his promise to his people. And when that is violated, because he is a just God, the absolute result is his wrath, his anger. Mm-hmm. Now, what is good is that when, because we are, those who profess Jesus Christ are in the covenant, are in a relationship with Jesus and in God's family, he, his desire is to protect us. Yeah. And so anything that would violate that, his good plans for us and his promises for that must be dealt with. So that is why we can actually have faith as believers that in the end of all times, like we will see the wrath of God come in appropriate ways, in appropriate places, and things will be set right because of that. And And we also know... Girl, come on. Well, I I was just going to say this. And we also know that it is a loving, convicting act of a holy and righteous God's discipline when we would experience any of that disruption, right? Yes. His wrath in spaces in our life. Like Mm -hmm. we are, we know that we are fully pardoned and forgiven from God's righteous wrath in Jesus. And there are places where the consequences of our sin have like what we were talking about, that collateral damage. Yes. And even as you were talking about wrath as protection, God's wrath through the form of protective care, like mm-hmm. like I, I almost want to just hit a pause because we don't see God's correction, His judgment as protective care. Mm. Mm. You know, I think about the past. Do we need to? Do we need to get a T-shirt that says "His correction is my protection"? Okay, I feel like that's a T-shirt line. Yes, it is. Would you wear it? I don't know. That's kind of awkward. (laughs) It is so real, though, and we usually don't see that. But I think it's so. If you have children, or if you're in proximity to young young people and you are trying to correct your child um, around an unwise choice, you're seeking to help them. Like it's like my, my one year old who is really into climbing stairs. And if I was not seeking to correct him of like, you cannot climb those stairs by yourself. You need mommy there with you. Please don't do that, right? It's my protective care that is seeking to come alongside him in the midst of my correction. And that is what God's judgment is. God's judgment is there for you to see the weight of your sin, the weight 
mm-hmm. of who he is and his care for mm-hmm. you to say, come back into my presence. Because mm-hmm. in my presence, this is the word, in my presence, there is a fullness of joy. In my yeah. presence, right? That's right. There That's are... Right. I'm trying to figure out the last word right there. My my memory treasures is not, forevermore. Treasures mm-hmm. forevermore. Come on now, that's eternal, long lasting, kingdom, mm-hmm. eternity language. And so, in my presence, though, and so when we are operating outside of when when we're seeing God's correction um, through the way He enacts His wrath, we have to reorient. This is God's care for me. This is God's love for me to bring yeah. me back into fellowship with his presence. Yeah, right. <clears throat> there is something so, so important about that relational peace because like even to use this example that you use about your child, like you would put hands on him to bring him off of those stairs, right? Honey, like, but if it was I have somebody else's like we're at the public library and you see somebody else's random kid climbing the stairs, right? Mm-hmm. You would say something out yes. of consideration, but you don't put hands on that child, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, because you don't have the same type of relationship. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. there's a degree to which that intervention is going to maybe be uncomfortable in yeah. the context of a relationship. But that's that good. is all because of that relationship that's based on love. Yeah. And, and we, it's not always going to feel good. Yeah. Not always going to feel good. The 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 other thing that we have to like get to, Leah, is that for our hearts, how do we sort of intersect that to remind ourselves of what is true is that we cannot outrun. We cannot run away from God nor his presence in our life. Because his mm-hmm. presence is seeking it to come to us because he wants to be in relationship and fellowship with us, who who he made, we cannot run away from God or his presence. And, you know, we we do this all the time. You know, it's not just a physical running. It can be a metaphorical running. It can be a mental. Right. Like some of us run away just by busying ourselves. You know, I was That's thinking right. about today. That's like, right. I, I would ask you, you to think about what are the ways that I'm running away from God today? What are the ways that I'm running away from his presence in my life? Um, I'm not just talking about you sit down having a quiet time. I'm talking about God has told you mm-hmm. to have a conversation with a brother or sister that you need to mm-hmm. be reconciled to and you're running away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about like being faithful to something that the Lord has asked you, but you're running away from it, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we cannot run away from God nor his presence in our lives. And so belief and disobedience, there is a there, there's a mm-hmm. dissonance there. You know, um we say all the time, like what sister um uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember her name. She always talks about say matching your due. Yeah, Karen Ellis. Yeah, Karen Ellis. Like literally, Jonah is an example of him saying it, saying things, and it doesn't match what he does. Yep. And so, this belief and disobedience are dis are are operating in dissonance in his life, 
And he is an example. And God is actually using him as an example to us that dissonance of your orthodoxy and orthopraxy cannot be embodied um, in, in your life in such a way that you are operating in the presence of God. It's gonna have collateral damage, just like Leah said. And because there's collateral damage, our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy have to be aligned together. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, what you believe should match how you respond. That's right. And That's so right. we all fall short of God's glory, but the question is, do we see when our belief is not matching our doing? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's many ways in which like, I mean, Jonah was a prophet, right? So he was very seasoned with the Lord. And I think there are many ways where so many of us who would call ourselves seasoned with the Lord, mm. like still come up against those challenges where he's ask, He's asking us to go, like he's sending us to someone or something yep. or yep. some project or some come and die, like those are all different ways where he calls us to go and he is sending us. Um, and we will, despite the depth of our knowledge, mm-hmm. our mileage with him, we will still find a way to say no. Mm-hmm. And we, I just am like, let's let it not be. Like, let's let it not be. Let it not be. Which I, I have to say this. Like, how do we set guardrails for it not to be? It's through the relationship and God's presence, yeah, being being cultivated, being uh, being tilled and mm-hmm. and and. And and grown in our lives, not just through knowledge, but to sit with the Lord and allow Him to deal with our hearts. Like I, I think about, like, oh, what would what? How could this have been so beautiful in in Jonah chapter one? It would almost be like, oh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and Jonah says, "But Lord, I have an issue with the people of Nineveh." <laughs> And I can't do that right now. Like, can you deal with me about my heart? That's not what happens. Like, Jonah... That's not what happens. <laughs> it's not what happens. Actually, he just... He ignores the sin in his own life. And that's a mm-hmm. whole tutor for all of us. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? When we're ignoring sin, how can we actually be in fellowship with the Lord because right. we're creating our own barrier and wall and God's presence is is seeking to come to us. He's saying like, come and have fellowship with me. Yeah. So Leah, will you pray for us around Jonah chapter one? Yes, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are faithful um, when we are not. Um, you pursue us when we run. Um, you are just um, always creating pathways for us to hear and respond. And I pray that in the midst of struggle to have our say and our do align, that you would do something new in us, that you would create new hearts for us, that we would get up and go when you say go, that we would open up our mouths and speak when you say speak. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is instructive to us, 
that it's um, never empty, but always full of riches of wisdom to be mined for a life that is pointed towards you and fully surrendered to you. So would you continue to do that work in us, even as we consider this chapter over the next week? We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a blessed day, ladies. 